So while everyone is kind of trickling out here, my name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here at CCMV. No, I am not Pastor Bill. No, I did not gain a couple inches in height. No, I did not lose all of my hair. I'm just someone completely different. Um, but it's such a pleasure and an awesome to be here with you guys. This church has been a huge blessing in my life, and I'm really excited to be here to share the word of God with you. Now, you might all be thinking, sweet, it's a guest speaker. That means we're going to get something like light and fluffy, right? Like um, maybe like a rainbow unicorn type of a study, you know, just kind of filled with sparkles and rainbows. Well, maybe something on I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe, you know, God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. Well, you're in for some disappointment, and you're in for some suffering, um, which is a very good thing because it'll help us help you, I should say, understand the text a little bit better today. But before we get into that, does anyone need a Bible? If so, could you raise your hand, and the most excellent Rick there in the back will give you an amazing book. Highly recommend it. Uh, looks like we got one over there. Cool. All joking aside, though, about suffering, I find it no coincidence that last Sunday that Pastor Bill taught on the crucifixion and suffering of Christ. And this past Wednesday, even, Pastor Tosh taught briefly on the Christian's ability to be joyful in the midst of suffering. Now, the three of us certainly didn't plan this. Um, we didn't want this to be an eight-day intensive on suffering because we know nothing cheers up a congregation like focusing on suffering. Yet here we are this morning as we are continuing this seemingly God-appointed deep dive into suffering by learning about the purpose of suffering. A.W. Tozer was a rather famous dude. He was a pastor and a teacher and an author who once said, before God can use a person greatly, he must allow that person to hurt deeply. Which begs the question, what is the purpose of suffering in this life? Is it because God is just some sick and twisted jerk? Is it that we somehow deserve it in our lives? But before we get into these questions and some more, let's pray, shall we? Lord, may your Holy Spirit apply the word that you have for us today into our hearts by impacting us, Lord, by transforming us into who you have called us to be. Lord, help us have an understanding of your purpose in not only our current hardships and trials, but in our past pain and sufferings and in preparation for our future difficulties. Lord, may your spirit just speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, today's text is in Acts 28, and in it, the Apostle Paul provides us an example of how God can use sufferings in this life that we go through, and he reveals the true purpose of those things, those sufferings as Christians. Now, as a church that reads the Bible, we all already know quite a bit about the Apostle Paul. We know that before he was a Christian, he was, his name even was different, and it was Saul. 
He was a very aggressive and brutal man. He was a fanatical Pharisee, an enemy of Christians and the gospel. And his chief aim seemed to be to remove every single trace of the name of Christ off the face of the earth. Yet after his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, we know that Saul became Paul. He went from an aggressive, brutal man to a powerful, dynamic, unstoppable force of ministry. He went from being a fanatical Pharisee to being a fanatical Christian, who instead of removing Christ off the face of the earth, spread the news of Christ to every aspect of the known world. This transformation could only have occurred in Paul's life because of God and his plan for him. In Acts chapter 9, God tells Ananias to go to Paul because he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So, after Paul becomes a Christian on that road to Damascus, he went on many missionary journeys, starting churches basically everywhere he went. Eventually, his former friends and colleagues, the Pharisees, caught up with him and attempted to kill him. But he was rescued just in the nick of time by the greatest and coolest people on the planet. No, the Romans. Kind of an odd, odd thing, I think. But he was rescued by the Romans and through a series of trials and meetings with various rulers, ends up on his way to Rome to face Caesar, the leader of the known world, not as a guest speaker, not as the keynote speaker even, but rather as a prisoner. Which was God's appointed way of sending Paul to Rome, something Paul had been wanting to do for quite some time, so that he could go and preach the gospel. However, and excuse me for the pun here, it wasn't quite smooth sailing for Paul. On his way, a storm capsized his boat, and he was shipwrecked on an island. And that's where we find him here in Acts chapter 28, which gets us to our first point for this morning. Enduring a life filled with suffering. If you could turn to Acts chapter 28, we're going to start off in verse 1. Now, when they had escaped, they then found that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome, because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom through he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they, the villagers, were expecting that he would swell up like the marshmallow that he would beat now, or suddenly fall down dead, but after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Paul had endured all of these things, right? 
He was attacked by his former friends and his colleagues. He was hauled off in a boat as a prisoner to Rome. And here he is, shipwrecked on an island. And while Malta is, I'm sure, very pretty today, uh, it wasn't exactly a resort destination back then, if you know what I mean. And despite all that, he then gets bitten by a snake. He's endured all of these things. He is likely tired, exhausted, maybe even a little discouraged. I think we can all relate to that a little bit, can't we, at different points in our lives. And what does he do here? He starts picking up wood to feed the fire, to keep it nice and warm and hot for everyone. Now, personally, if I was in Paul's shoes, I have a feeling that this wouldn't be my first action item. Um, I'm pretty sure I would be on the beach of Malta complaining, and it would likely go something very much like this. Hey, God, yeah, you told me I was going to share the gospel with the entire world, and you placed this huge desire on my heart to go to Rome and preach the gospel there, talk to rulers and kings, which, you know, hey, super cool idea. I'm all about that. Like, hey, we got to go big or we're just going to go home, right, God? And while, you know, I would have preferred some maybe first-class tickets, you know, some, some nice meal on my airplane ride to, to Rome, maybe some quality time in those famous Roman baths for a nice relaxing spa day, before talking to Caesar, the leader of the known world, I get that that probably would have been too much to ask for. But why didn't you at least send me to Rome in Economy Plus? I'm a fairly tall dude. I could use those two extra inches of leg room. No? No, God? Uh, all right. <sighs> all right, God, I've come to terms that you desire to send your number one evangelist, your, your main guy, Paul here, you know, that, that started like all these churches for you already, and something like that is worse than economy class. I mean, you know, I didn't even know something worse than economy existed. And, and while you decided to send me as a prisoner, like, you sent me in chains. Like, I mean, economy class is basically like getting shipped somewhere as a prisoner. It's pretty constraining. But like, you literally put chains on my hands. And, and, and while I was going through the travel itinerary website, I didn't see that on the drop-down list, God. What's going on? But not only that, God, but you're going to like now like crash my ship? Okay. Wait, do you want me to go to Rome or not? I mean, come on here. You know, am, I, am I secretly being filmed? Am I actually on an episode of Survivor? Or... I hope it's not lost. That show's weird. Um, or, or Gilligan's Island. I, I don't see the skipper anywhere. I mean, come on, God. But no, that's not Paul's attitude at all here. Having just been shipwrecked, he didn't complain. Heck, he didn't even think about himself at all here, did he? But rather, immediately, he looked at the situation and started serving others in a very practical way. And how does he get rewarded? What does he get for doing something good and serving others? A viper, having been warmed by the very fire that Paul was feeding, awakens from its nice little slumber and latches onto Paul's hand. Now, I don't believe Paul deserved any of this. 
and certainly not a snake bite. I mean, this guy's a good guy. He's doing all the right things. But the villagers certainly thought so, didn't they? They all gathered around after seeing what had happened to Paul. They, they bust out the movie popcorn, you know, took the fire and heated up the butter a bit and poured it over. Kind of like, ooh, what's going to happen to this guy? Is he going to puff up? Just can't wait until like we actually see some action around here. It's kind of boring on this island. They spoke to one another about how wicked this man must be. That he must have been some sort of horrific person, a murderer, to face this horrible fate, to escape being shipwrecked, only to be bitten by a snake. He must be worthy of this. And I think a lot of us, like the people of Malta, make some of those same assumptions about our own suffering sometimes. We assume that we've done something so wrong, so heinous, that we deserve what we are going through. We believe that when bad things happen to us, that there must be some form of divine justice involved. Because surely, if there is a God in heaven, and I'm suffering, then he must not love me or like me as much as he does those other people that I see on Facebook and Instagram that seem to have their lives all together. I know I have in my own suffering felt this way. I grew up in a Christian home, was involved at church, was known as that Jesus kid in my school, not because of my good deeds, but rather because of my horrible selection of late 90s Christian apparel. Yeah. Okay, maybe some of you guys aren't quite old enough to remember these shirts going around, but... uh, Yes, they were all about this bad. Uh, You know, we didn't really have Tosh in the kingdom yet, and so Christian apparel looked like that. Um, Anyways, this is kind of the stuff I did. To all those around, I was a Christian's Christian. I was serving God, and God was good to me. I was always smiling, always happy on the outside to those around me. But something was going on in the inside of my being, hidden from view, that had begun to change my life. I was diagnosed with chronic depression and anxiety, a disease that for many Christians, to be fair, is often viewed with doubt, skepticism, and even rebuke. A cruel disease that has crippled me for many years of my life, despite my best attempts to man up, despite my effort to force myself out of bed, So often I would find myself falling into an emotional pit of despair that would just consume me. It would devour me for days and days on end. It turned my house, a place that we often think of as a place of safety, of refuge, into an unescapable emotional prison that I was simply unable to escape. I was afflicted with so much emotional pain and angst and turmoil that I was physically abusing myself so that I would feel better. Seems kind of counterintuitive, right? If you're already in pain, why would you inflict more? Because somehow the physical pain felt a whole lot better to me. 
than the soul-crushing emotional pain and numbness that I felt in my heart. Words cannot even begin to convey the depth of the angst, the suffering, and the sorrow. But I know many of you know exactly what I'm describing. And perhaps, like me, you have gotten to a point where the self-affliction just wasn't helping anymore. And at that moment, I nearly jumped in front of a moving car. I hated my life that much. The only thing that saved me was I didn't want to cause anyone else any more pain. I didn't want to be a bother to anyone. I was emotionally dead, unable to face anything beyond the very bedsheets I clung to. I went to counselors, pastors, physicians, psychologists, psychiatrists, psychopharmacologists. I bet you didn't even know those existed. There's a lot of P's in this list. All godly Christians who, in addition to medication, gave me biblical counseling and wisdom, who spent time in prayer with me for healing in my life. And yet, after all of this, I still have to deal with this messed up illness every day of my life. And I bet all of you guys are thinking, man, this sermon is such a downer. The Lord, in his love for me, had chosen to not heal me. Chose not to bring me out of my suffering. Come on, Pastor Mike, where's the hope? Even in my darkest times, laying on the floor face first in so much pain, I just wish God would do everyone a favor and kill me. With my eyes dry, because I had frankly cried all my tears, my tear ducts just said, nope, no more. I've been worked out enough. God would not heal me. But that's not even the worst part of it. You see, I felt that I somehow deserved this punishment, this suffering, this pain, this depression, this anxiety, this angst, that I had done something so heinously wrong <clears throat> that I deserved a suffering worse than death. That I was somehow not worthy of God's love in my life. That I was not even worthy of his consideration or time. Because I felt I was nothing more than mud. Because I knew God existed, and yet I still suffered. So, I logically concluded, God must hate me. Here's the hope. Praise God, however, that this isn't the truth, amen? We know that God loves us. He proves not just in his words, but in his actions as well. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? And God doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just love us, even though that would be more than enough. He doesn't allow us to stay trapped in our sufferings alone. It's not in God's character. Well, if it's not in God's character, then why is it that you're still suffering, Mike? Why is it that I'm still suffering? 
Well, God's solution is slightly different, and we can see here at Paul, and we can kind of see the example he provides for us. What does Paul do after the snake bites him? He shakes it off and continues on. In our hardship, in our darkest hour, we can place our faith in God because of God's faithfulness to us. He showed it to us on the cross first, and I'm sure all of you can attest to the fact that he shows it to us every day of our lives. It is in those dark days, though, it is so vital to rest on those promises, to be reminded of those promises, to remember that God is faithful. And in Isaiah 40, I think he says it perfectly. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. For those that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. As Christians, we have to suffer. Just as the world does. Suffering isn't just for one group of people. But God, the difference here is that God does not allow us to suffer alone. Through faith, he will see us through our suffering, endure our suffering. We might not fully understand why God allows suffering in our lives at times, but it isn't because he hates us. And while God won't always make it easier for us in our suffering, it isn't He might not free us from our pain. He might not heal us. But God does promise not to leave us. He promises to help us through our suffering, our pain, our despair, to give us strength, the power to endure because he loves us. Fortunately, this suffering doesn't just go to waste. God has so much more for this suffering in our lives He doesn't just help us endure it, but he also has a plan for it. He uses it for something greater. Suffering is a very interesting thing in that God can take all that suffering and that pain and that loss, and he weaves it into a beautiful, majestic tapestry of your life, into a blanket that we can then use to comfort others. Which brings me to my second point. Suffering opens doors for ministry. Let's continue reading in Acts chapter 8, 28, verses 7 through 10. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Populus, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Populus lay sick of a fever and dysentery. I always think of organ trail when I see that word. Does that happen to anyone else? No? Okay. Well, I'm just weird. Um, Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. And so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. There is a clear cause and effect relationship that we see unfolding in this story. Paul suffers from a snake bite, leading the Maltese to think that he would die a horrific and horrible death. But instead of dying, what does Paul do? 
he lives. Completely unharmed. No, no adverse effects. And the Maltese then come to the conclusion, well, this guy, this guy can't be human. He must be a god. But knowing Paul's personality, I th- I'm going to read between the lines here a little bit, but just knowing what we know about Paul, I'm sure he wouldn't have just taken that. I'm sure he wouldn't have set up a golden altar to himself and say, hey, look at me. I was God's number one evangelist, but now I'm like a god of the Maltese people. No. No. God, Paul would have immediately pointed to the glory of the one true God. Amen? Which now leads us to this ministry opportunity for God to work through Paul in a powerful way as he prays, first for just one man and heals him, but then for many people on the island, and God heals them all. Over the years, I've seen how the Lord has used my own suffering to equip me to minister to others. My own personality, frankly, apart from God, I'm a very selfish individual. I'm very prideful. I'm full of pessimism and cynicism. Yet God has changed me to be someone different through my sufferings. Haven't fully arrived there, but I'm I'm in progress. It is in my own struggles and sufferings that he has given me an understanding and a compassion for those that are caught up in sin. It is only because of my constant battle with depression and anxiety that I have even the smallest amount of humility and sensitivity and compassion that allows me to come alongside people like my friends and my family in their time of need. Who I am today and the very little bit of ministry that I do would simply not have been possible without the hardships that I've experienced in my own life. Our suffering, you see, can be an incredible, powerful tool that helps us minister to other people. And I think 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, kind of just sums this up in a very good way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So if you will, suffering is like a prerequisite college course, lower division college course, for an upper division course in ministry. You can't have ministry, effective, powerful ministry, without God using suffering in our lives first. Suffering doesn't just equip us for the work God has for us, but also seems to open the door for ministry as well. Ministry often happens as a direct result of the suffering that we're going through. I can think of a pastor that many of you likely know who has been very influential in my life, who because of his two daughters battling with a terminal disease called cystic fibrosis, has had countless opportunities to minister to people in hospitals uh, and elsewhere that frankly would have never heard the gospel or have been ministered to otherwise. I think of my own father who despite his constant battle with his health, mental clarity, and strength, always, without ceasing, seems to be able to glorify God. Minds me a lot of Job. And using all his remaining strengths and his abilities has a profoundly deeper understanding of Christ than he ever did before. 
And he uses that to teach and minister to others in a way that he couldn't before. No doubt you each have your own stories of the way that the Lord has used and been faithful to not just let a single ounce of your suffering go to waste. We should be mindful that in the midst of our own suffering, that God is doing a work in our lives. He's equipping us for the ministry. Paul's opportunity to visit Populus was likely due to the villagers' commotion around his survival of that snake bite. I can't think of a better reason to get invited to the main honcho's house than like, hey, you got to check out this dude. A snake like bit him and he survived. And like, I don't even see the fang marks. Like, you, got, you have to check this guy out. It's important to note that suffering doesn't just bring about pain in our lives, but more importantly, it brings about a spiritual maturity in our lives, as well as growth in our lives that just can't occur in any other way, as well as providing distinct opportunities to minister to others. Now, unlike Paul, I'm pretty horrible at ministering to others when I'm not doing so good. When I'm suffering, I just want to hunker down want to hide, want to bury in blankets, want to crawl up into a little ball. And all I do is I think about myself. Pity party of one. Because of this, I've had many missed opportunities to share the gospel. I've had many missed chances to minister to others. We should be mindful that just as the villagers watched Paul and his struggle... We, too, are being watched in our trials. Which, to be fair, is likely the very last thing any of us want to be thinking about while we're going through suffering. On the other hand, I know many of you in this very building, I'm looking at some of you right now, that have dealt with a whole lot worse suffering than I have. But instead of hiding or wallowing in that despair, these individuals have been faithfully ministering towards others and glorifying God. And while I'm not going to mention specific names because I don't want to blow their blessings, I do want you to know that I respect you guys and I admire you more than words can even say. I am in awe of what God has already done in your life. And I am beyond excited to see what God has in store for you in the future because of the current struggles that you face, the suffering that you're going through. Now I pray that the Lord would do a work in all of our lives to mature us and strengthen us so that we might show the world Jesus in our sufferings and not our own flesh. So that we all can say with Paul one day, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We too can be strong when we are weak as we embrace our suffering. Because through God empowers us to endure our suffering because he loves us. And we know that the Lord has a purpose for our suffering. As he takes our suffering and uses it to mature us and enable us for ministry, for service. All the while using it 
as a way to open doors for further ministry. Which leads me to my last point this morning. Because of God, we can be joyful in our suffering. You see, it boggles my mind whenever I think of Paul in this situation, who being used of God as an opportunity to heal all these people of their pain and their suffering, their diseases, their illnesses. Yet Paul himself, at this very moment, has an infirmity of his own. In Paul's words, he had a thorn in the flesh, a physical suffering most likely that was caused by numerous traumas his body had endured over the years. Paul reflects on all the things he's gone through when he states, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Thing to note here, the reason why it says 40 stripes minus one is that according to the Old Testament Mosaic law, 40 lashes or stripes was enough to kill a man. So it was considered a death penalty. So this is by far the worst punishment you can get under Mosaic law without death. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And the stoning here was also typically considered a death sentence. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been kept in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of waters and perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Paul would be a rich man if all those perils were pearls instead. Paul went through it, didn't he? I mean, we just needed two slides to cover all the stuff he went through. He encountered danger and suffering everywhere he went. Paul was, by all accounts, not just the straight-A a straight a student in a course of suffering, but the straight-A student in suffering. He was passing the course with honors, even. Yet, despite all of this suffering, God didn't lift it from Paul. God didn't heal Paul. Even as God used Paul to heal others. Yet Paul never grew bitter. He never grew angry. Instead, he only grew closer to the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about how he feels or felt about all of these sufferings. A throne was given, a thorn, not a throne, a thorn was given me in the flesh to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now catch what he says here in the next verse, in verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasures in my infirmity, in reproaches and needs, in persecutions and distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Instead of being bitter at God, he became joyful in that he could boast of Christ's strength in his own weakness. Now, 
when I first saw this and kind of thought about this as a younger believer, to be honest, one of the very first things I thought was like, this guy Paul, he must be off his rocker a little bit. You know, he must be a sadist or something because how can you be joyful in suffering? How can you take pleasure in pain? And what I've come to realize and learn is that it's because Paul is a very wise investor. Something we can all learn a little bit from in this current uh, economic uh, situation. Paul had an eternal mindset focused on heaven and not on the here and the now. And it's really completely backwards from what we see in our society today. Frankly, it's completely backwards from what, if I'm being honest, what I see in my own life today. We desire stability. We desire safety. We desire a life of comfort above everything else. We prize the ability, hopefully, to turn on the air conditioning when the summer heat starts getting closer to three digits. He was joyful in his suffering because he had his eyes on Jesus. He had hope in the eternity with him. We can now begin to see how this rather weird thing at first starts to make a little bit more sense. When you take your eyes off the here and now and you place them onto heaven, into eternity, all of a sudden we can start thinking about being joyful in our sufferings. Because Paul, and we have this opportunity as well, was investing his temporary sufferings today for eternal rewards. I believe Paul was also joyful because he was being he was given the opportunity, the privilege, to emulate his number one guy, his favorite hero, Jesus. And as we learned this last week, the sufferings of Jesus were quite immense, both physically, emotionally, spiritually. And Paul considered it a privilege to be able to pick up his own cross and follow after Christ and live his life exactly the way Christ did. Now, as we begin to wrap up, pay close attention. Today we have seen how we are able to endure a life filled with suffering because we have faith that God loves us enough that he will be with us in the midst of it. Then we saw how suffering can open doors to ministry by growing us, enabling us, and providing us opportunities to serve Christ. And finally, we examined how we can be joyful in our suffering because we have hope in the eternity in heaven. What does faith, service, and hope all have in common? Christ. They all put Christ in the center of our lives. So going back to that very first question I asked this morning, what is the purpose of suffering? The purpose of suffering is to draw us closer to Christ so that, he can, so that we can be strengthened by him, so that we can be used by him for ministry, so that we can have the opportunity to invest in an eternity with him. To close, I heard a story a while ago about a man who found a cocoon of an emperor moth and took it home so you could watch the moth come out of the cocoon. And I'm sure many of you guys have heard this analogy before. It's a very good one. Um, that's a picture of what an emperor moth will, should look like. One day, a small opening appeared in the cocoon. The man sat and watched the moth for several hours 
as it struggled to force its body through a tiny hole that had emerged. Then the moth seemed to stop making any progress. To the man, it appeared as if the moth had gotten as far as it could in breaking out of the cocoon and was just simply stuck. Out of kindness, the man decided to help the moth. He took a pair of scissors and just snipped a little bit bigger of a hole in the cocoon so that the moth would be able to get out. Soon the moth certainly, in fact, emerged, but it had a swollen body and small shriveled up wings, looking nothing like the picture up there. The man continued to watch this moth, expecting that in time his wings would grow out and his body would then shrink and contract. But neither happened. In fact, that little moth spent the the rest of its life crawling around with a shriveled up body, swollen body, excuse me, and shriveled wings. It was never able to fly. The man in his kindness and haste didn't understand that the restricting action that the cocoon did towards the moth was required because God's way of forcing fluid out of the moth's body into its wings needed that pressure and that strength for that, you know, as the moth got out of the cocoon. It was designed that way so the moth would be ready for flight the second it achieved its freedom from the cocoon. Paul needed to go through suffering, much like the moth needed its cocoon. Paul needed to be cleansed, purified, perfected. Had God not arranged for the many trials and struggles and afflictions to befall him, Paul would not have been the proper and mighty tool in God's hands that he was. And God would not have been able to use him as powerfully as he did. And just as the moth and Paul could only achieve their full potential as a result of that struggling, we often need to struggle, suffer even, to become all that God intends for us to be. Sometimes we wish that God would remove our hardships and take away all of our obstacles. But just as the man crippled the emperor's moth, so we would be crippled by God if he did that for us. God doesn't take away our problems and our difficulties because he loves us. And he is with us in the midst of our sufferings because he loves us. And he uses our sufferings to make us into the men and women that he has called us to be because he loves us. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, Thank you for loving us. Thank you for not abandoning us. Thank you for being there with us. Thank you for enabling us to live, to endure, to serve, to use, to grow, Lord, through our sufferings. Lord, we are so thankful that we have hope in you, that we have hope in eternity, that we have hope, period, Lord, because without you, there wouldn't be any at all. And Lord, we just uh, lift all these things up in your name. Amen.